everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. We are your host, Brian, Nathan. I'm JC, and uh, it's good to be here with you this week. Fellas, you had a good week? Having a good one, man. It's good to see you guys again. Yep, I've had a had a great week. Everything's moving right on. That's good. It was great last week hearing, hearing uh, Papa Edwards, Craig Edwards preach from the Jordan River, standing in the Jordan River. And I'm telling you, that is one of the coldest body of waters I think I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. And the whole time yeah. he's preaching, I was standing in the water just to his right. And I was like, he's got to be freezing because I'm about to freeze to death right now. <laughs> And guys, well, you know, we Pete, solved one of the church's great mysteries. Craig Edwards can preach a 10-minute sermon. Yes, I did not think that was humanly possible, but I was surprised when I looked at the recording and saw it was only that long because it was so good. Like, man, he had some meat on those bones. That was an incredible sermon, and I won't ever forget it. Yeah, it actually was. You know, people were saying he's always so low-key, and he seems like he's just easing around. But then when he starts preaching, it's like he becomes this completely different person. Yeah. This lion comes up out of him, and uh, it was pretty powerful. I will say this, JC. I only felt the cold for just a minute because it didn't take but about that long for me to go numb. <laughs> That's the truth. I got to feel it on the outside and the inside because as soon as y'all baptized me, I opened my mouth, and it was like just half the Jordan <laughs> River into my lungs and stomach. That was <laughs> I drink the Jordan River. Did y'all know, you know, they told us two things. Don't drink the Jordan River. Like, don't open your mouth and don't let the Dead Sea get anywhere near, like, your face or anything. Y'all remember Brandon Neal was walking oh, man. out towards the Dead Sea and tripped <laughs> on a rock and face first right into the Dead Sea? Yeah, it was the underwater wall. There was a rock wall that the water was over, oh, yeah. and he tripped over it face first. I can't imagine how badly that that burned his eyes. And there were people coming up out of that Dead Sea just torn to pieces. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't get into the Dead Sea because I was afraid it had magic powers because I saw this one man come out who weighed about 400 pounds in a Speedo, and I was afraid that if I went in, it was going to do that same thing to me. So I avoided the Dead Sea at all costs. Oh, yeah. man. Anything with the word dead, I ain't getting into. So Amen. Swimming pools. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Well, fellas, I'm excited about today's episode. We have the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, Bart Barber, is on with us today, and uh, it's going to be a great conversation. Y'all ready to get the show started? I'm, I'm ready. ready. Let's go. Covering Fundamentalist Podcast begins in three. These podcasts, <laughs> podcasts, that sounds like a convention of beans or peas to me. I, podcast. Listen, in these recovering fundamentalists, they don't know the Bible either. What are the fundamentals? Inerrancy, virgin birth of Jesus Christ, Amen. substitutionary atonement, Amen. bodily resurrection Amen. of Christ, and the authenticity of miracles. Hi, man! Two. I am not a recovering fundamentalist. They're everywhere. They're all over the internet. They want to be, uh, what do they call it? Recovering from fundamentalism. They're everywhere. And I think to myself, well, you were just stupid to begin with. And if there's such a word, you're stupider now. We ain't recovering from nothing good, neighbor. We're reviving from the Holy Ghost. Somebody say Everybody wants to focus on recovering. Oh, you're recovering. Oh, you need yeah. help. You need therapy. You're recovering. Let's focus on fundamentalists. 
We're recovering fundamentalism back from people who have hijacked it. We are biblical True. family. We are the fundamentalist. Man. That'll make a Baptist want to speak in tongues right there, boys. One. I'm going to tell you one thing. Uh, we better stay uh, in the old paths. But what are the old paths? I've heard that my whole life, and nobody's ever been able to tell me what the old paths or the old-time religion really is because it's whatever era you mm -hmm. overly romanticize in your mind as being when the church was it, right. Mm. Like it, lump it, pump it, jump it, take it across the street and dump it. We've raised a generation that is ashamed of our forefathers and act like they were somehow done wrong in the way they were brought up and they were damaged and they were scarred because they were raised in a home that had standards and convictions and kept them on the old time way. You got their number, boys. Y'all thought you started the podcast. You went and started a movement. Thanks for joining us for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Make sure to stay tuned at the end of the show to hear more about the RFP sponsors. Now, here's your host for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast, Nathan Cravat, J.C. Groves, and Brian Edwards. Well, hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This is Brian, Nathan, and JC, and you are listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Guys, I want to give a shout out right up front to the RFP network. Um, I was listening this week. We've got some great podcasts on the RFP network, and uh, I don't know if y'all checked out For Freedom podcast. They got a brand new intro. And I love it. That was really good. And uh, James just did a whole review of his trip to Israel. That was a great time. And uh, just just some great podcasts on the RFP network. Have y'all had a chance to listen to any of them lately? Oh, yeah. Constantly. I love it. Yeah, I love I love the RFP network. And I love, too, the fact that there's incredible diversity in this network. I mean, yeah. everybody's podcast is completely different. Yeah. That's it. Well, we have been over the last couple of weeks playing you episodes from our trip to Israel. And uh, you have heard from uh, the Sea of Galilee, the Mountain of Precept. You've heard from the Jordan River. And uh, this week, we're going to take a pause in our episodes from Israel. And uh, we're going to play this episode with the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, Bart Barber. Um, but we are excited because we, we feel like we need some more Israel content. And uh, Nathan, I think it'd be great if we just went back to Israel. What do you think? I think we need to do it. Let's go. I think an RFP trip in 2024 is what we need. Yeah, that's a great idea, JC. And since you mentioned it, We've got some dates for everybody. You want to give let's, those to us? Let's do it. So this is a RFP pastors only trip to Israel, January 26th. And by the way, we know the definition of pastor. Continue. Hey, man, January 26th to February the 3rd, we are going to Israel. And uh, this is a trip just like last year. This is a trip for pastors only. And uh, we're going to be heading to Israel. Uh, and uh, we would love for you to be part of this trip with us. It's nine days, food, your travel, your lodging. And let me tell you, you're going to eat like a king. You're going to sleep like a king. It is some of the nicest 
resorts and food and the travel is great. It, it was a phenomenal life-changing trip. And if you're a pastor that is thinking about going to Israel, you've always dreamed of going to Israel. It'll never be any cheaper than it is right now to go with us. The Recovering Fundamentalist podcast trip to Israel. We're going to the Holy Land January 26th through February the 3rd. You can yeah. go to recoveringfundamentalist.org, click on the Israel tab and sign up today. Yes, we had a few people that couldn't go last year. This is going to be an incredible opportunity. You've got even more time to prepare this year than we did last year. Maybe, Nathan, we could do it next week when we do Brian's episode at Caesarea Maritime. We could add in some of the singing that we got to do in the chapel and at the the Dead Sea Scrolls. I mean, we gathered with groups from literally London and France and just started singing in different languages. I'm telling you, it was a taste of heaven right here on earth there in the really was. And uh, I would love for you to go with us. If you're a pastor and you have dreamed of going to Israel, this is a great trip. The brotherhood that's built on this trip is um, memories that will last a lifetime. I I guarantee you want to be part of this. So January 26th to February the 3rd, it's the Holy Land with the RFP. Yeah, getting ready for the Holy Land, that's something that everybody needs to go ahead and do. Uh, The time to sign up is now, and uh, the time to start preparing is now. Uh, Because, you know, JC, you just said that your trip to the Holy Land was life-changing. Well, uh, the man that we're interviewing today, that we have this incredible privilege to interview, the, uh, the ministry that he leads, this incredible organization known as the Southern Baptist Convention has been life-changing for me. Uh, you know, a little while back, I wrote an article for the state magazine for Virginia called The Proclaimer. And I talked about the fact, that, you know, that growing up until I was over the age of 20, I'd never even heard a sermon that wasn't preached by an independent Baptist preacher in an independent Baptist environment. And growing up believing that only the independent Baptists were right, my mind was blown when I started meeting great Southern Baptist men who loved Jesus, who loved God's word, and who had a hunger uh, to partner with other people for the advancement of the gospel. Well, having become Southern Baptist and now having brought multiple churches into the Southern Baptist Convention, I'm excited about what God is doing uh, currently in this incredible movement and for the opportunity to get to interview uh, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, Bart Barber. It's just it's it's an incredible opportunity that I know we're grateful for. So so Bart, thank you so much for coming on and spending time with three recovering fundamentalists. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, you guys have a lot of fun on here. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 th- I think I would do this twice a day. <laughs> <laughs> it's therapy for us. Yes, <laughs> it definitely is. Gets to come along. Uh, so. So, Bart, can you tell us a little bit about your, maybe your salvation experience? I know you were brought up in a rural community like the three of us, and you were brought up in a small country church like the three of us. Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, what the early days of of life in church looked like for you and and how you came to faith in Christ? Sure, absolutely. Uh, So I uh, God gave me the privilege of of being born to two very godly parents uh, and um, I, from from the moment that I was able to, uh, the bib- biblical word would say, from the moment I could distinguish my right from my left, right. Uh, so as, as early as I could do that, there were there were three institutions that were 
paramount in my life. And that was my home and Bethabra Baptist Church and the St. Louis Cardinals. And <laughs> those three things, oh no, uh, those three things define the parameters of all that was important uh, uh, in my life in Lake City, Arkansas. You know, obviously, I loved the church and loved my church family uh, a long time before I knew what it was to come to Christ in repentance and faith and to accept him. But that happened pretty early for me. Uh, I was not quite six when I came to faith in Christ. And I don't have one of those stories where I say, but that wasn't real. And it came back later on. It was really kind of the real deal. Um, and um, I'll tell you, as an aside, I, I, uh, when I was a teenager, uh, I kind of regretted that because the really good testimonies at the youth events were the people who'd done drugs or something. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and I, and I, I really had to try to kind of figure out whether I was, uh, doomed to being a boring Christian, uh, for the rest <laughs> of my life. And, um, uh, but I eventually came to the conclusion that God saves some of us late, um, and part of what he accomplishes with that is helping us to know how much you can sin and not be beyond God's hand to save you. But I think he saves some of us early so you can know how little you have to sin to still need to be saved. And Amen. so I had, I had only done what I could do as a five-year-old, uh, but I knew that I was guilty before God and that I needed his forgiveness. And so I sought it and found it. And uh, then when I was 11, God called me to preach. And, um, uh, 11. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And preached my first sermon on a mission trip when I was 15. And I pastored a little church there in Northeast Arkansas when I was a senior in high school and then went off to school. So, um, so my early days were all centered around, uh, mm. uh, uh around faith and around God's word. And, um, you know, the, the most of the, I'll say this. It was all Southern Baptist. I never really had any interaction with independent fundamental Baptists. But uh, I had a preacher once joke to me, Southern Baptist preacher once made the joke to me to say that the definition of inspiration is a preacher with a flashlight under the covers with a copy of Sword of the Lord on Saturday night. Oh, uh, oh, oh. So, oh no. uh, <laughs> oh, that's a good one. So, uh, yeah, I, th I thought it was at the time, too. So I would say that um, a lot of the preaching in a, in a small rural Southern Baptist church in northeast Arkansas that I heard growing up uh, was heavily influenced by uh, kind of a, 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 the independent fundamentalist movement that had some, uh, some influence probably on, um, and on some of the Southern Baptists. But these were all people who were committed Southern Baptists. I wound up uh, going, I, I wish I had a testimony where I could say, boy, I prayed very carefully about this. But uh, actually, uh, the the God just took care of me. I didn't pray about it much. I, uh, the, the biggest Southern Baptist University was Baylor, and they offered to pay for me to go. And I said, okay. So <laughs> I went to Baylor and met my wife there, and uh, we've, uh, you know, I, we've been serving churches since um, since that time uh, and went to Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth uh, for the past 24 years. I've been uh, serving at First Baptist Church in Farmersville, Texas. I tell people 
whatever comes to your mind when you hear the words Farmersville, Texas, that's pretty much what it is. And uh, you, I mean, you're, you're, you're hitting pretty close. And uh, so I serve this church. Uh, I have my wife, Tracy, two kids. Jim is 20, Sarah is 16. And I have 14 head of Santa Gertrudis cattle out on a little farm uh, outside nice. of town. So. The only only negative part I heard in there was Cardinals. <laughs> it was Cardinals. Listen, no, nothing negative about that. I, I'm a Cardinals fan because I'm a Christian, uh, mm-hmm. JC. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so, so Romans 829 and... Romans eight twenty nine and God sanctifying you into the image of Christ didn't get you beyond the Cardinals. <laughs> it brought me closer. I'm brought just... me closer, Brian. Listen, let me tell you this. There's nothing. I'm just going to assume based upon knowing where you guys live. And I'm just going to say there's nothing sanctified about throwing garbage on the ball field just because <laughs> the umpires followed the rule book. Listen, define an infield fly, Mr. Barber, define an infield fly. If y'all would put in the show notes, the MLB rules, I think it'd make it clear for everybody. <laughs> the left field warning track in the outfield so is not an infield fly. What you're doing now is I see Jesus. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's that's what this is. I love it. <laughs> oh, I will neither. I will neither confess nor deny that I threw anything. Else <laughs> well, thank you for well, sharing your y'all story. Are, y'all, I, I, I'll just say this before. Uh, yeah, y'all, y'all can't be near as angry angry at me as my Rangers fans in my congregation oh. are uh, because of 2013. They still. True. Uh, yeah, they, they still are really, really upset about being one out away, and uh, and then winding up to lose the World Series to the Cardinals. Yeah, yeah. I bring we, it we, up whenever I can. We know from oh, experience how badly it hurts to get that close, but yeah. uh, we do actually have uh, part of the RFP Network hosts that are uh, Rangers fans. So Shanna, we'll let you follow up with Bart after <laughs> after this. But thank you for sharing your story and and how you came to Christ. And I'm so thankful that that kids can understand the simple gospel and come to faith in Christ. And uh, my mom was praying for a preacher boy before I was born. And so I was kind of doomed before I was even born. I fought (laughs) against it for years. And when I was 24, God brought me back to that calling in my life. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. But most of us got to know you as you were in the process of becoming the Southern Baptist president, and there was quite a bit of controversy around that. There, there always is, you know, disagreements, blogs, podcasts, all this different stuff. But I love hearing the story of how you faithfully served for years in a local church before God lifted you up to this position and opened this opportunity for you. So what was it like for you transitioning from being a local church pastor in a local setting to stepping onto a national and even global stage of the Southern Baptist Convention? Uh, Bewildering and bizarre in many ways, Nathan, uh, I would say. Um, There are, uh, uh, first of all, I want to say, I I don't want to, uh, I don't want to make this sound like it's a bad thing because the fact is I had the blessing of people reaching out from all over the country to just say, man, we're praying for you got friends who will just text me the one did yesterday texted me and just said hey man you're knocking it out of the park really just want you to know how uh, how how good of a job that you're doing uh, but um you know i'm not a mega church pastor uh i'm not a i'm not on the conference speaking circuit or anything like that 
uh, I don't even have a fun podcast. Uh, so <laughs> I, 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 I'm none of those things. And uh, after the election was over, the last thing they do at the SBC annual meeting is bring on to the platform the, the people who uh, have been elected. And so my wife and I are standing on the stairs backstage getting ready to go up on there. And I looked over at her and I said, how did we get here? Uh, <laughs> I, was, uh, I have no idea. And since that time, I've looked at her 20 times and said, how do we get out of here? Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so, so we don't know the answer to either of those questions, actually. And uh, it's just, I think, uh, a matter of God's providence and also uh, just uh, the fact that, um, that, that the Southern Baptist Convention is predominantly made up of mm. people who are not speakers on the conference circuit and who uh, are just faithfully serving non-mega churches that uh, are touching people in their community. And so I think there's just a connection there. Well, I'm glad you're able to be on here today just to to show you're just a real guy that loves Jesus and serves faithfully in the church. And that's, that's one of the reasons we wanted to give you this platform also is just to, you know, there's always questions around who is Bart, what, what is he doing? What's his plan? And, uh, we just, I love that you're real and that you love Jesus. You love your family. And, uh, man, it's, it, thanks for being on here with us today. It really does mean a lot to us. It's my honor. I'm delighted to be here. Couple questions that we'd love to throw at you, and uh, just just have some conversation around um, that we've written down. And one one of these are is that since COVID, all four of us as pastors, we've experienced an enormous culture shift socially and spiritually. Uh, is the Southern Baptist Convention challenging churches strongly enough to abandon long held traditions that are now completely ineffective? Well, that's a great question. Thank you. Uh, if I wanted to um, um, kind of break that up into a, into a couple of different things, um, let me say um, one of the things that has amazed me since June uh, going around, I had one day that I saw both oceans in the same day uh, wow. and uh, just uh, connecting with Southern Baptists. I'm amazed by our diversity uh, really uh, rural, urban, ethnic yeah. diversity, and that's way beyond black, white. It's black, yeah. white, Asian, Native American, uh, and African, and, and all sorts of different uh, different groups that are made up in that. It's also thematic. We got cowboy churches, we've got country club kind of churches, we've got blue collar worker kind of churches, very agricultural membership sort of churches. Um, I've served in a lot of different kinds of churches uh, down through the years. Uh, the Sunday before the annual meeting in Anaheim, I preached in a church that has started about 10 different congregations within that congregation using those same facilities. And they've got biker church and beach church and, and uh, all of these different kind of themes that are there. There's bewildering diversity in the Southern Baptist Convention. And as a result of that, most of those churches really could not possibly care less what the Southern Baptist Convention has to say to them about how we think that they ought to be doing church. Uh, you know, the, the fact yeah. is, 
people people don't join the Southern Baptist Convention. They don't lead their churches to affiliate with the Southern Baptist Convention thinking, we need somebody to come tell us how to do our business here. Mm-hmm. Instead, they affiliate with the Southern Baptist Convention saying, we want to partner with churches, including churches that are like ours and churches that are different from ours. We want to partner together with those churches to send missionaries around the world and to help plant and strengthen churches uh, that that need to be replanted or planted in areas that are underserved uh, with a witness in North America and a few of the other things that the Southern Baptist Convention does. And so um, how much is the Southern Baptist Convention doing to challenge churches to move away from traditions after COVID? Approximately nothing. And that's probably exactly how much we ought to be doing about that because some communities have changed dramatically yeah. Post COVID, and I've seen that. Uh, I mean, uh, and uh, I was thinking about that while I was at a hotel in California, and they've still got a plastic bag around the remote control uh, that you use in the hotel, and that's something that came completely out of the COVID experience. But I'll tell you, Farmersville, Texas, is not one bit different today from yeah, what it yeah. was before COVID came through. Yeah, and a, a lot of those people. Uh, weren't very different during COVID. They just uh, right. they just kind of shrugged it off uh, as to the degree that they could. And so within the SBC, one of the great things about the SBC is that is that our churches are autonomous, and they have because we believe that they best know how to serve their own communities, uh, and um, and they're not looking for me to come in and tell them how they're supposed to do church now. Uh, With that having been said, I said I'd break this into a couple of parts. I think the second part of that is every church, with or without COVID, has the risk of developing traditions that are ineffective uh, in, in equipping and discipling believers and ineffective in reaching their communities. And, um, I think, uh, some of the best things, even for those churches, for the Southern Baptist Convention to come in and say, you're stuck in traditions that are ineffective in discipling and equipping your believers, and that's just going to make them mad. And in the end, may just make them leave the Southern Baptist Convention and go join the Independent Fundamental Baptists or whatever. Uh, but <laughs> That'll teach them. But, <laughs> but, uh, but I tell you— um, one good thing that the Southern Baptist Convention does is to emphasize the importance of uh, winning people to Christ, of evangelism, and also of, of training up and calling out believers uh, to maturity. And so most of what I see, the times that churches come to a point where they evaluate their traditions, it, there are those moments when the church looks and says, we're really not doing very well at winning people to Christ. We're really not doing very well at training up and equipping believers here. And uh, if if we want to survive, we're going to have to reevaluate some things. And so I think uh, the best thing that the Southern Baptist Convention does along those lines is through like replant uh, advice, uh, or we have a uh, we have a Nehemiah. No, it's not the Nehemiah project. I can't remember what it is. It's named after one of those people in the Bible uh, <laughs> that, that, that we have uh, uh, in the SBTC that would come in to churches that are concerned about their effectiveness 
and help lead them through decision making. And so it's in moments like that where it's not the Southern Baptist Convention challenging anybody. It's people in a state convention or association or maybe one of the entities coming in in response to a plea for help and trying to provide that help for people who are who are eager to hear it that a lot of times uh the 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 tree you're barking up is not a bad tree it's just that that's the way generally the southern baptist convention is able to help when receptive ears uh are attached to people who called out and said will you come help us we're having some trouble Mm. well i I think your answer to the question reveals uh some perceptions that we've had growing up so i don't know if you're aware of this you probably are but the southern baptist convention was demonized in the independent oh. fundamental Baptist world. Like you guys were liberals, you were compromisers, you didn't believe the Bible. We grew up hearing so many things. And what I've learned from actually being a part of the Southern Baptist, each church is autonomous. And I, I hear you saying this in your answer that you're not barking orders. Yes, there has to be agreement to to certain doctrinal stances, and we see that in the Baptist message and faith. But uh I think that's important for our audience to understand that the Southern Baptist Convention is not exactly what it was represented to us to be growing up. Yeah. So, um, for example, an independent fundamentalist Baptist, independent fundamental Baptist church could affiliate with the Southern Baptist Convention without changing any of its structure, without changing any of the people who served in any of the offices in that church and without changing anything about a statement of faith that they may have adopted. I mean, unless the statement of faith said Southern Baptists are going to hell and you can't have anything to do with them. So, uh, <laughs> some might actually so, say that. Yes. Uh, that's possible. But, uh, our, um, I mean, our, our, our churches are autonomous and they can freely come and go. And they do every year, every year we had new churches every year. We have churches depart the Southern Baptist convention. And so they're all autonomous. There's no hierarchical structure uh, for for changing what happens in a local church. Yeah, that's the opposite of what we heard growing up. You know, our most of the sermons that were preached, um, you know, the Southern Baptists were incredibly liberal. Uh, the Southern Baptists um, were departing away, you know, departing from God's word, departing from the faith. Those are the kind of things we would have heard. And then when I had the privilege to spend several days with Adrian Rogers, I learned that that was not the case. Um, he was as as biblical and as committed as anyone I'd ever met. Well, um, I'd love to ask a question if I could. So given the current climate of church as a whole, uh, you know, right now, Hope Church, we're doing a lot of work with church revitalization. Uh, we're actually uh, very involved in the state of North Carolina, Virginia, and God has given us the privilege to revitalize multiple churches. Do you feel it's more important right now? Maybe it's a both and. Do you feel it's more important for the Southern Baptist Convention to focus more on revitalizing or planting? So I think it is a both and, and I'll tell you why. Um, The Southern Baptist Convention takes responsibility before the Lord for trying to uh, promote the gospel in every corner of the United States of America, right? And so um, you can't you can't go into Albany, New York, 
and say revitalization is what we're about because there's nothing in some of those places to revitalize. Uh, there's a there's a need to go into because Albany, New York, or at least this was true a few years ago, is less than two percent evangelical believers. There, the the percentage your your likelihood of meeting an evangelical Christian in Beijing is considerably higher than your likelihood of meeting an evangelical Christian in that part of upstate New York uh, or in Boston or some places like that. And so there's clearly a profound need for church planting in some areas that are unreached. But with that having been said, uh, the North American Mission Board, which is the the entity within the SBC that's, that's committed to this church planting emphasis, also has uh, a revitalization ministry and what's called a replant ministry. So our church was involved with a replant several years ago in Bozeman, Montana, Y'all going to love this story because I think it's going to connect a little bit to some IFB themes as well. Um, my father-in-law, he's with the Lord now, actually died with COVID. Uh, but my father-in-law was Southern Baptist all the way through, but he was also very involved in bus ministry, which was something that was influential in IFB life too years and years ago. And um, he, uh, out of Nashville, Tennessee, he um, he he would buy old buses, and and he and some friends who had you know some grease monkey skills grew up on a farm, whatever. They would fix these buses up, and then they would either donate them or sell them for very little money to churches that wanted to have a bus ministry. And so, when my wife was a teenager, she went with her dad to Bozeman, Montana, to drop off a bus to a church. Now, fast forward. And uh, we were going on vacation and had uh, my family and my in-laws driving through Montana. And we were going through Bozeman on the way to Yellowstone. And Dale, my father-in-law, said, I'd like to stop by and see if that church is still going. And so we looked and we found the church where he dropped this bus off. And at that time, very thriving church. It had died. Church had completely died. And it just so happened when we pulled into the parking lot, we found a NAM-sponsored church replanter living in that building. It was the last day he was moving out to go to a house that he bought. And we connected with him and said, we're going to help you. God serendipitously has brought us together. We're going to help you. And so they went in and they restarted that church and those facilities and did a replanting effort there that sort of revitalization and church planting all rolled up into one package. And so I think that there's a profound need for all of them. Certainly, if you come down into uh, the the 14 states that are where most Southern Baptist churches are located, there is a an enormous need for revitalization in those churches. And so my long-winded answer to your really pretty simple question uh, is that in some geographic areas of the U.S., church planting has to be the primary thing that we're doing. In other geographic areas of the U.S., uh, revitalization is the primary need. Yeah, well, that's a great I, answer. Yeah, it is. I actually have the privilege of being in Asheville, North Carolina, and I am replanting here with a church that has slowly died over the past 15, 20 years. And, uh, through Brian Edwards and Hope Church, 
I've had the privilege of moving here and I've only been here for six months. And it's amazing seeing what the North Carolina Baptist, the Southern Baptist Convention, which the North Carolina Baptist just partnered and merged with SEND, uh, the SEND Network and North American Mission Board. And I'm actually going to Atlanta, Georgia for my orientation on Monday. Uh, they're flying me and a bunch of other church planners in there. So excited about what's going on. And I've just experienced firsthand how much the Southern Baptist is doing. The training was incredible. My local guys, Mike Pittman, and so many others that I could name are doing an incredible job here in North Carolina. And man, I couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of what you guys are doing. Todd Unzicker is giving great leadership in North yes. Carolina to the work that Southern Baptists are doing there. And you have Kevin Izell and you have the SEND Network. And we're doing a similar thing in Texas. The SBTC has a has a SEND Texas network. And uh, that SEND North Carolina partnership, uh, it, it just shows a lot of the strengths of um, of the model of cooperation we have at Southern Baptist, where you can have a state convention that's trying to replant and reach people uh, in North Carolina, can can enter into a partnership with a national entity like the North American Mission Board, and um, that that partnership enables uh, nobody to have to reinvent the wheel. North Carolina has North Carolina knows Asheville. North Carolina knows what's going on on the local ground. They they're connected with local associations who uh, have a lot of relationships and a lot of capital and something like that. But then, but then NAM nationally has great training and resources and, and equipment, uh, not equipment, equippers uh, who, um, who can really add value to one another for what they're doing. I've been incredibly blessed by it and I'm excited to be a part of it. Could you talk to us and, and our audience a little bit about, legalism and liberalism within the Southern Baptist Convention, because I know both of them exist and both of them are also resisted. Uh, you know, the fun thing about it is both of them are things that I've been accused of. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. so, so I, I think that I could get people to qualify me as an expert on either topic. Uh, sure. as yeah. Um, so, you know, Southern Baptists, again, I said a moment ago, and, and bewilderingly diverse family of churches. In fact, I've said before, it's not even accurate to call us a family of churches. We're a family of families of churches mm -hmm. is really probably the best way to say it. And um, so, you know, within that, you've got um, you've got you've got folks on all sides of things. Um I'm going to be a little bit careful in responding to your question because the terms liberalism and legalism are terms that are not real carefully defined in the way. I mean, they're, they're careful definitions, but that's not, but not everybody's agreed to use them. And so, uh, you know, my dad, um, whenever I, whenever we would be driving somewhere, the definitions I've learned of a different set of word, words, uh, a speed demon was anybody driving at least five miles an hour faster than how my dad wanted to drive. Mm. And uh, and a grandma Sunday driver was anybody who wanted to drive five miles an hour slower than how my dad wanted to drive. And the, and the center of reference and the de definition of all things was how fast my dad wanted to drive. And sometimes that's the way we are with the words legalism and liberalism. Anybody who has tighter convictions than I do about something 
is a legalist. And anybody who has looser convictions than I do about something is a liberal. Uh, but instead, uh, what I'd like to do is say, as far as that kind of defining those terms go, we just need kind of chill out and live and let live. Uh, and, um, and, and just know that some people are going to have some stricter convictions than I do. And some people are going to have some looser convictions than I do. And uh, that doesn't necessarily mean we can't cooperate with one another. Uh, how I would define those words is this way, okay? I would define legalism as, first of all, the strongest definition is anybody who takes something that is extra biblical and makes it a requirement for salvation or a necessary element of faithfulness as a Christian. Amen. So, um, so, so if if I said, um, let me let me take one for me. I, I'm a I'm a teetotaler, abstaining from alcohol. I, in fact, I I can say I don't even know what it tastes like. I've never never had a, a drink of of any intoxicating beverage. Uh, I learned to read early, and that gave me extra years of reading that big church covenant that was on this on the wall in the little church that I grew up in. That said that we, <laughs> I remember you know, those <laughs> from the from the sale use and you know whatever. Uh, and um, uh, however, um, I've got friends who drink, and um, uh, and I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not. I'm. I'm just not going to. That's a. It's. It's not just that it smells nasty to me, which it does. Uh, it's just that um, that that I that I don't want to do that. And I think um, I think apart from the idea of whether it's sinful or wrong, just to have a drink of alcohol, uh, there's a prudential matter of that to me. And and um, and, and I'm I'm not going to do it. But I do not think that my friends who drink alcohol are lost because they're drinking alcohol. And I do not think that they are lesser Christians than I am because they drink alcohol. Uh, I just think they're making a choice I wouldn't make. And I think some of them are making a choice that winds up really being destructive for them. I uh, could cite some cases, you know, of that kind of thing that's happened. Uh, so, but I think, I think some would look and say, just because I don't drink, I'm being a legalist. You you can't you can't have a conviction that's stricter than mine. Um, and um, and yet I would think it would be legalism if I looked at somebody who drank a beer every once in a while and said, uh, I question your salvation or I question your faithfulness as a believer because mm -hmm. you've made that choice. So. Um, so I think that's legalism, and we do have it in the Southern Baptist Convention. There's no doubt that we have it in the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, we have it – when I say we have it in the Southern Baptist Convention, I don't know how much we actually have that in the Southern Baptist Convention. That is, in the meeting that happens. Uh, because the beautiful thing is when you bring these messengers in from all over, you've got this this diverse group of convictions about all of these matters that are not really addressed very clearly in the scriptures uh, or not addressed at all in the scriptures and the the multiplicity of points of view kind of cancel each other out when you put those messengers in the room you have to vote on something right uh, but when i say that we have legalism 
in the Southern Baptist Convention. What I mean is the churches that cooperate with the Southern Baptist Convention includes churches that have legalistic, legalistic convictions about some things and behave legalistically about them. And, uh, and even churches that aren't that way contain members who are like that. Uh, so you can encounter a Southern Baptist in the grocery store who would say that uh, if a woman wears pants, she's not a faithful believer. Uh, and uh, th that Southern Baptist person exists. Uh, but you could never pass that motion on the floor of the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so there's, a, there's a distinction there. As far as liberalism goes, uh, you know, I got asked last year a lot as we're moving toward the annual meeting in Anaheim and the election, do you think there's a liberal drift in the SBC? The answer I tried to give is to say, absolutely, absolutely. If you're talking about people in the pews or in the student ministry or whatever else in our churches, uh, I, I promise you, the most conservative church in the Southern Baptist Convention has students in the youth group who affirm LGBTQ plus stuff that's going on around them but because they go to school, because they have the Internet, uh, because they, they're influenced by their friends. But they may not think that in the end, but they do now. And opinions in the pews, uh, you'll find – I would define liberalism uh, as – as a desire to take progressive views in the culture and elevate their authority over the authority of scripture to mm -hmm. govern the faith and practice of the church. That's great. And that is, that's rampant uh, in the pews of Southern Baptist life, but not so much, I think, in the pulpits. Um, uh, I know a, a lot of pastors in the SBC, most of them, are people who affirm the inerrancy and the sufficiency of Scripture uh, when it comes to determining the faith and practice of what we do in our churches and even in their own life and personal holiness? Uh, they're just they're just they're just standing trying to hold back the tide of uh, very effective campaigns in the um, in, in the media and in education. Uh, to indoctrinate our children better than we do, and even adults indoctrinate adults better than we do. And so um, so we are in a position, I think all of us are in the battle every week when we stand up in the pulpit. We're all in, in the battle of trying to call believers back to the scriptures and away from a legalism that elevates that elevates old ideas above the scriptures and from a liberalism that elevates new ideas above the scriptures, and instead to try to call people back to a faithfulness to follow the Word of God. Mm. So our standard is the Bible. Hey, amen. That's what, that's what the conservative <laughs> resurgence is about, and that's, amen. and that's what I believe, too. Well, something that was very conservative and biblical was your interview on 60 Minutes with Anderson Cooper. God has given you a, a large platform and the opportunity to speak out what has that been like going from just a rural pastor in, you know, in Texas to being on Anderson Cooper, you know, being interviewed all over the country, all over the world? What, what has that transition been like? 
terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I'll tell you, Anderson Cooper, man, I really enjoyed visiting with him. What a great guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he treated me so fairly. And, Somebody's head and just that, exploded that you said that. <laughs> I'm sure. Guaranteed. I'm sure. But I, yeah. but I tell you, whoever it is uh, whose head exploded, uh, they're less concerned about truth and reporting about me than Anderson Cooper was. There it is. I, yeah. there, was there was absolutely nothing that was off limits for me to say. Wow. Uh, in my conversation with him, we talked very frankly about my beliefs about homosexuality. Uh, Anderson Cooper is one of the most famous uh, outed uh, uh, gay men in the United States of America. He was very forthcoming about what he believed. I was very forthcoming about what I believed. I've got all of that on tape. Um, there was there was absolutely nowhere that he required me to pretend to be something different than what I was or to pretend to believe something different from what I believe. And, uh, and we really hit it off uh, and had, I think, a, a great conversation and have had great interaction since then. Um, and, um, you know, I, the, the fact of the matter is, um, in the end, the things I said that were the scariest things that I said in terms of thinking, man, this culture is going to just excoriate me. Uh, for having taken this stand on abortion or for having taken this stand on sexuality. Um, and those things, not only not only Anderson, but also the whole production crew came up and said, we thought your interview went great. They said, we're around people all the time who try to hide what they really think and uh, who are trying to game us some way or another. And we just want to tell you how much we appreciate somebody who'll just come answer the questions, who'll just who'll just sit in the chair and answer the questions. What a blessing that is to encounter somebody like that. And it's given me an opportunity to have some ongoing relationship uh, with all of those folks since then. We say on here all the time, truth doesn't fear yeah. a challenge. And, no. you know, yeah. that's, that when, when you're presenting Bible, when you're presenting truth, it doesn't fear that conversation or any of that. What I thought was the most refreshing in that interview was when you took credit and you owned the Southern Baptist shortcomings and publicly confessed and repented of the sins that that we have been guilty of being a part of. Not that the convention overall approved of that, but those things happened on our watch and in this organization. So that was incredibly encouraging to me that you weren't afraid to admit the wrong. Well, I, there's no escaping that at this point. And I think um, we're, it, Nathan, that hits on something that I think is so important. Um, we preach a gospel of repentance and forgiveness, but we are sometimes among some of the least repentant people that I, mm. that I, that I know of. It, it's, don't you find it remarkable when people say that they're sorry in a way that's convincing? And uh, I mean, remarkable because it's rare. And um, but but in this case, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is I'm trying to find a balance of repentance and words and repentance and work. And um, we've spoken the words as Southern Baptists. And um, there are a lot of times that I'm tempted to go out and say the words again um, when um, when when survivors of sexual abuse start 
pointing out our failures and whatever to, to go back and say, yeah, we repent. Yeah, we lament. But really, the time that we're in right now, what I'm trying to focus on is not so much talking about it, but about trying actually to get some things done. And so we're trying to launch the Ministry Check website. Uh, that's one. That's the first out of a number of things that we need to do. We're trying to put together a toolkit to help churches. Uh, ultimately, the vast preponderance of, uh, of clergy sexual abuse that happens, not just in Southern Baptist life, but outside in other denominations, the vast preponderance of it happens in a local church setting. And uh, the only way that we succeed at what we're doing is to put together resources that local churches can and will embrace and implement at the local church level. And uh, so, man, if you want to pray for me, pray for me about that. That's what we're yeah. that's what we're trying to figure out how to do is to put that kind of thing in place uh, to to help local Southern Baptist churches because that's that's the that's the greatest potential for the SBC to make a difference is for us to just connect churches. I mean, there, there are, there are churches in the SBC that have encountered an abuser who want to warn other churches about that person. And maybe it was something that didn't rise to the point or, or statute limitations or whatever. It's not criminally prosecutable. They're not going to be able to go on a watch list. But that church knows that this person has behaved in this way. They want to warn other churches. And then there are churches that are calling people who want to be warned. If the person they're calling the staff or if the person they're putting in a volunteer role is somebody who's dangerous. And um, effort made to, uh, to connect those churches that want to warn and those churches that want to be warned uh, – that seems like really low-hanging fruit, and it's something that we could do that could that could make a dramatic difference in the health of our churches. And so, uh, but all that depends on autonomous churches choosing to avail themselves of those resources. And we've got to win their confidence in order for that to work. So, pray for me. I don't even know if I'm answering your question anymore, but pray for me while we work to try to do that. Yeah, that was great. Thank you. Very clarifying. Yeah, I would love to ask uh, maybe one final question for me. So I find myself trying to be an apologist for the Southern Baptist Convention, having experienced brotherhood in the convention. Nathan earlier mentioned Mike Pittman. Hey, there's a there's a man in North Carolina that is a champion of a man. Uh, his name hey, is man. Mark Gray. I don't know if you've had the privilege of meeting Mark Gray, but he's one of the most extraordinary men who loves Jesus, who loves the church, and who loves pastors that I've ever met. And my mm -hmm. relationship with him has been life-changing. So I try to share that with people. What would you say to all of the pastors who are listening to this podcast right now who are unaffiliated? What would you say would be the primary reason you believe they should partner with the Southern Baptist Convention? What would you say to them to, to convince them of that? Listen, I, I get asked that frequently, and um, to some degree, I'll shape the answers to the circumstance and beliefs of the person who's asking, you know, because the SBC is a really big organization with a lot of benefits. But uh, to think about a generic person and try to offer that uh, answer, I would say that, um, you know, you have an opportunity to 
have a global impact from out of your church in a way that some churches just wouldn't be able to have in a way that other churches would not be able to have as effectively. Um, so a, a, a good example, let, let's say, um, I mean, for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast, okay, some people like you guys who have maybe come out of uh, a, a, a very strict, very conservative sort of background, and you're looking to plant churches um, around the world, send missionaries around the world, you're going to find, if you look at Southern Baptist church planters, or if you look at Southern Baptist missionaries, you're probably going to find some people that you're a little uncomfortable with. Now, if you if you look across 5,000 missionaries, you, you may find 50. You may find 100 that you say, man, you know what? They, um, that, that particular missionary, uh, their view of eschatology is way different from my view, way different from my church's view. Do I, do I really want somebody who is an amillennialist planning churches? If, if, if what you're going to try to do is go through the roster of church planners or missionaries and see if you can find anybody that you're uncomfortable with on any grounds whatsoever, you're going to succeed at that. But if, but if you make that be the thing that keeps you from partnering with the SBC, what you're losing track of is that there will be 800 missionaries with the IMB who are exactly like your church. Yeah, They, they hold your doctrine just the way that you do. And they're planting churches like yours across the United States or in countries all around the world. And if you're going to choose another way, either independently supporting missionaries or working with another group, or if you're going to build your own network, how long is it going to take you to get to the point where you have 800 missionaries who are just like your church, who are going and sharing the gospel? <laughs> the answer is probably not in your lifetime. Mm. And so... If you if you look at it the other way and say how many church planters and how many missionaries can we count up to who are totally acceptable to our church, I think you'll find that your money going to support them is going to accomplish more than anything that you can build on your own. Um, and the same thing is true of seminary professors or any other metric that you want to take in the SBC. Awesome. That's good. You know, Bart, uh, 150 episodes ago, we decided to put mics in front of our face and have a conversation. And if we've learned one thing in 150 episodes, and that is there's critics out there, uh, a lot of critics, people have an opinion and they're going to say whatever they want to say. They'll make up stuff. Uh, they will <laughs> they'll call you all <laughs> kinds of things and you'll learn a lot of newness about you. And I'm sure in the last year that you have gone from pastoring a rural church to the the world platform. How how have you personally learned to handle the critics, the the negativity that comes your way in the role that you're in? Well, I tell you, JC, I've uh, I, man, I've made some mistakes. I think sure. as president of the SBC in doing that. Um, this um, um, this has been the hardest year of my life. I'm not talking about the presidents of the SBC. Um, I've my my son has just 
left the nest. And so he's, he's in school. That's a huge transition for anybody. Um, my mom is dying and she's doing it very slowly. Um, and in fact, I, y'all know your listeners don't know yet, but y'all know that we were going to record this yesterday and I had to cancel and do it until today. I'm, I'm recording from my sister's house because this is like the fifth time that hospice has called and said, y'all need to come. She's about to pass away. And, and when we get finished with this, I'll go to the nursing home and, um, and I'll be there with her. And, um, so sometimes some of those criticisms land at a yeah. time when I'm just not having it. Uh, mm. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and sometimes that's just, that's been shaped by other circumstances that are going on in my life. And I, and I come to realize that. And, um, so so it hasn't always been the exemplary, I don't think, the way that I've handled critics. But um, I'll tell you a couple of things that I'm trying to do. Um, first of all, um, you know, I, I'm I'm trying to listen to um, some of the voices of people who aren't in exactly the same spot that I'm in on on things on all sides um, to take two controversial things that are going on in the SBC right now. Um, the choice of guidepost solutions to help construct the ministry check website and the decision to disaffiliate with Saddleback uh, church in, in California. Uh, between those two decisions, uh, there's something for everybody to dislike uh, because uh, different wings of the convention are mad about, about either of those. And uh, I'm I'm really trying to listen, and I'm learning some things from people who differ with me on one or both of those issues, uh, one or the other of those issues. I don't know anybody who disagrees with both, uh, but uh, <laughs> one or the one or the other of those issues. Um, so one, I'm trying to listen to people because anybody who helps you learn something uh, that's true is is uh, your friend. And um, but the second thing that I'm trying to do is I'm always trying to remember that um, that in, in conversations with people in the SBC, there are really three parties to the conversation. There's you, there's the person who's talking with you, and then there's all the people who are listening. Mm. And uh, those people who are gathered around who are listening, um, they can become one of two things. They can either become the audience gathered for a panel discussion where everybody gets an opportunity to learn and benefit or grow, or they can become like, uh, uh, you know, growing up in a small town in Arkansas, uh, in high school, occasionally uh, a couple of guys or a couple of girls would schedule a fight after school. And whenever they would do that word would get around. Was this, was it this way for y'all too growing up? Oh Yeah. Yep. Word, 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 word would get around school that they were going to meet and fight at this time at this place and then you'd have the people gather around who were rooting on the fight you know they were they were um sometimes what happens in that ring of faces around the fight is uglier than what happens in the fight itself yeah true and yeah. so 
I want to be someone who helps, and I hadn't always done this, but I want to be someone who, not only my own heart, but who helps the ring of people gathered around, watching the interaction, be the audience who are growing and learning, and not the, the, not the people who are around loving to watch the fight. And, um, so, um, good word. That's, that's just a matter of, of, of Christian discipleship, uh, because, because with regard to that audience, what you're doing is you're shaping the nature of, of Christ's church. And, Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's a huge responsibility. Twitter right there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've had the privilege of watching you even this week engage with people that have spoken out I think incredibly unfairly against you, and yet you've engaged them so respectfully and believe the best about them. And man, I appreciate that. Uh, Amen. We all three of us have have stepped onto a platform with more reach in the last four years that we've never experienced. Before this podcast started, nobody knew who we were. Well, JC and Brian were were these big big wig us. Uh, Southern gospel singers, they travel the world, but nobody knew who I was. And uh, that's changed. And I have utterly failed in how I've engaged with some critics. And I've also grown a lot, I think, in my sanctification in trying yeah. to uh, see dignity in everybody and and try to find a point of agreement when there's so many, uh, so much more points of agreement than there are of disagreement. And so you you've helped model that. And we we appreciate your time. I know this has been difficult for you to come on here today and uh, manage your schedule. And we are definitely praying for your mother and uh, and your family. Yes. And I believe our listeners, we know from experience, our listeners will pray for you and your family in this. And uh, I appreciate Amen. your humility and asking for prayer. But I want to close our conversation with the most important question we could ever ask. And we try to ask this to, to most of our guests, and that is, what is the gospel? Mm-hmm. What a great question. The central question, isn't it? Yes. Sir. Uh, and it is, it is amnesty offered to rebels against the only rightful ruler of the universe. Uh, if we will just admit what we are and lay down our arms and come to Christ in faith. Mm. Uh, so uh, we repent of our sins, place our faith in Jesus confess him as our Lord. And man, I'm so thankful. Uh, even as a five-year-old, I was on the wrong side. I'm so thankful. That's a great That may answer. be my favorite answer ever. <laughs> I <good>. love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been an incredible conversation. Um, and I, is it okay if we pray for your family and we pray for your mom uh, before we close this time oh, out? I, I welcome that. Thank you so much. Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you today for this incredible opportunity to have uh, this this great conversation with a man that uh, you've placed a great weight of responsibility on. Uh, He is a Nehemiah in that he's calling other people to a good work. Uh, He's just a part of restoring walls that are that have been broken, that are constantly broken down and then then building in new places for for greater protection, for greater gospel advancement. God, you're, you're using him in a great way. We're grateful for that. But Lord, today he's a, he's a human. And we've already heard him, even before the interview started, talking about the faith of his mother and 
and the influence that she's had on his life. And it's easy to see in the best possible way he is a mama's boy, that he loves his mom. And saying goodbye is so difficult, but she's reached that point in life and in time when heaven is the only thing that's going to make her better. There's no doctors, there's no medication. And right now, from where she's looking from, heaven has to be looking incredibly beautiful. Lord, we pray that you would give her grace as uh, she walks through the valley of the shadow of death to reach the uh, house of the Lord and dwelling there forever, side of the valley of the shadow of death. Lord, we pray that you would give the family grace as they love her during this time. And then as they prepare to uh, memorialize her life and and then grieve her loss. Lord, I pray that you would just watch over this family, continue to use this man mightily for the sake of the gospel. And I pray that we would be faithful to pray for him as he lives into this role, this assignment that you've entrusted to him. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you so much, Brian. Well, Brother Barber, we're so glad you came on with us today. And it's been a great conversation. We hope to have you back on the recovery. It's been a blast. I love it. Hey, I tell you what, it's January 26th to February 3rd. If you ain't doing nothing, go to Israel with us. It's going to be a great (laughs) trip. Just go to recoveringfundamentalist.org, click on the Israel tab, and go to Israel with us. And who knows, maybe the prayers will be there. It would be a great trip. We'd love to see you there. Guys, you have a great week. Be sweet. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Be sure to stop by our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a follow. Also, go to our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. That's recoveringfundamentalist.org. There you can find Recovering Fundamentalist swag. You can get your t-shirts and hats. You can join our ex-fundy community. See where we're going to be having some meetups. It's the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Be sure to join us next time for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast.